Happy Mother's Day. Thanks for being here. Welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. If you want to turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to continue with our Mother's Day celebration. I love being a parent. I have two children. Jackson is nine and Annabeth is six, and I love being their dad, and I didn't know that I would love it, though. In fact, I kind of fought it the, the whole way. Amanda and I had been married a couple of years, and she started to say out loud, I think it's time, and I would say, I think it's time for what? And she would say, I think it's time for a baby, and I said, I think it's time to go eat some dinner right now. And Because my, I, my theory in life is if something is good and you enjoy it, don't mess with it. That's the surest way to not enjoy it anymore. And, uh, and so we were living this really great life, not perfect life, but really great life. We had served churches in Houston. We had served churches in England. We had, were currently serving a church in Dallas-Fort Worth and just really enjoying our newlywed years and alone years. And I didn't know why she wanted to mess with that situation. But you can only resist that thing for so long. And so it wasn't very long until we were pregnant with Jackson. And I wasn't one of those dads that was like all in from the moment of conception, you know, like I wasn't the dad like getting down to the womb and being like, hey, buddy, how's it going in there? I wasn't that dad. I was just very cool about the thing until he was born. And then I wasn't cool anymore. And it was like my heart exploded and it exploded all around him. And we were buds. He was like my best bud. And we would go on man road trips and we would do things and we'd have a great time. And a few years later uh, into his life, Amanda said, I think it's time. And um, and I'm like, what, why, why do you keep trying to mess up these situations? Like, this is perfect. Like, we're having a great experience. Like, do you not love him as much as I love him? Why would you want to bring another person to steal love away from him? And she's like, I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. And, and, uh, and again, you can't resist these things for that long. And so we got pregnant with Annabeth. And again, I was pretty cool about the whole thing until she was born and the thing about it, and if you're a parent, you know this, and if you're not a parent yet, you will know this. You don't have to divide your heart among your children. It's like your heart grows each time, and my heart exploded in the hospital all around her, and I love being a parent. And one of the reasons I love being a parent is because kids are hilarious. If your life is super boring, then try to get around a kid. This past week, I was taking Jackson to Taekwondo, and uh, he's not, like, very, like, verbally expressive. You know, if you ask him, you know, hey, tell me about your day, he'll say, it was good, and I'm like, I'm looking for a little bit more than that, please, and, and he's like, it was really good. So I'm always trying to ask real specific questions to figure out what it's like in his little culture at his school, and for some reason, I'm, I'm like, I'm obsessed with like knowing what's going on in his classroom, like who's like the coolest in there, but you can't like really say that, like who's super popular or whatever, so I'm just asking real specific questions, and nine months now he's been in school, and all I've been able to figure out is that there are two girls named Hannah, they used to be best friends, but something happened, we don't know what happened, but something happened, and they were not friends, but now over time they're back to being friends, they're not best friends though, but they're just regular friends, that's all I've been able to discern after nine months. But last week we're driving to Taekwondo and I've got some real specific questions loaded up. I'm real excited about it. And I, I say to him, Jackson, of all the kids in your class, uh, your third grade class, who's the most likely to become the president of the United States? He thinks about it for a while and he says me. <laughs> Which I'm like super thrilled about because I would make an awesome president's dad. 
I just, I think I would. I'd be like that little sweet old man that's always in the news, but it's always for positive reasons. You know, President Jones's dad, you know, got lost again, but it was super cute, you know. I think I would be amazing at that. And the other thing is to be president of the United States, you have to be super rich. And obviously he's not in inheriting a lot of family money. So it means he's going to be really successful, which is going to be really great for me. I can live off him for the rest of my days. So I say, who's likely to be president? He says me. And, uh, and so I think, well, I got to find some more out. Who's likely to, to be, uh, you know, a doctor? Who's going to be a doctor and cares for people and, and take care of people? And he thought about it for a while and he's like me. And I'm like, okay, okay, you could do two. I could see like pre-presidential career and then post-presidential you know, career. But I thought I'd change like totally. Like who's going to be the, like the carpenter, like the builder, the construction, that kind of thing. And he didn't even think about it. He was just like me. And I'm like, obviously you inherited your mother's humility. No, I'm kidding. He, 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 he gets that from, from me. My kids are hilarious. It's uh, it's, it's, I love being a parent, but uh, being a parent is hard and, and it's very serious. And you know that. If you're a parent, you know that. Even if you're not a parent, you know that being a parent is, is really serious. And you know that because your parents have had a serious effect on you. So you ended up in this chair today because of your parents. Maybe they just were dream parents and they dedicated you when you were tiny and they spoke the word of God to you and they led you in the way of righteousness and so when it came to time for you to own your faith you just did it so naturally and you're here today because of them and some of us didn't get that maybe you didn't get that you got the opposite of that and they didn't bless you and they didn't speak life over you and they didn't prepare you maybe because they didn't want to or maybe because they just didn't know how to do it because nobody had done it for them but whether good or bad, your parents shaped who you are and have led you to this place today. And you either feel blessed today or you feel wounded. There's not really a lot of in-between from your parents. Some of you sit here today blessed by your mother. You know that she's proud of you and loves you. and You just feel honored today to be her child. And others of you, your moms weren't like that. and You sit here with a wound, a significant wound, and you, and you kind of ignore it. And think, oh, you get over it, but it never seems to go away. And it just gives us a hint of just the seriousness of being a parent, the seriousness of raising future generations. What we're going to see today from the Word of God is that raising those generations is just not all on the parents. There's a threefold partnership, a partnership between parents and the church and the shepherd. Second Timothy chapter 2 or excuse me, chapter 1. This is what it says in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, for the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Now later on in the letter, we know that Paul is, is sitting and writing this in prison. And he even says about his own life that his life is like a, a drink offering. Something from the Old Testament that's being poured out and almost is poured out. So you can imagine the apostles... Apostle Paul's life in a, in a cup, and, and his life is almost over. It's almost totally been poured out. Verse 2, to Timothy, my dearly loved son. Paul didn't have physical offspring, but he did have spiritual offspring, and Timothy is one of those children. We get his story in Acts chapter 16. This is what it says in verse 1. Then he, that's Paul, went on to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy. Now, this is in modern-day Turkey. 
the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him, and Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places since they all knew that his father was Greek. So Paul comes into what's now Turkey, and he's on a missionary journey. He's kind of on a a map, and he's going around, he's preaching about Jesus, he's visiting churches that he had already started, and starting new ones, and he meets Timothy, a young man. We know he's young because it mentions his parents, his mom, a, a Jewish believing woman, and, uh, and the church there vouches for Timothy. They, they say to Paul, you got to meet this kid. This kid's just amazing. You're going to love him, and Paul does, and Paul does love him and says, says, in fact, I love you so much. Why don't you go on with me the rest of my journey? And so Timothy does, and Timothy becomes his son in the faith. Paul didn't have children, but if he did, Timothy would be his son. And now he's writing them him this letter. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. So I'm praying for you all the time. Verse 4, remembering your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Now we don't know why Timothy was crying the last time that he saw Paul. But what we can all agree on, men, is that Timothy wished he had not written that down. (laughs) Poor Timothy, forever, people are going to know that he cried the last time that he saw Paul. I'm sure he's not bothered by it, though. And why was he crying? We don't know. Probably because this was his father in the faith, and uh, he was saying goodbye to his father. And he loved his spiritual father very much, and his spiritual father loved him very much. Verse 5, clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and that I am convinced is in you also. Now we know Eunice from Acts chapter 16, described as a believing Jewish woman, so she had Jewish heritage. She was a follower of Jesus, but that faith really started with Lois, Timothy's grandmother, and it says that their faith was sincere. Sincere means to be unhypocritical. This is how one uh, Bible commentator describes it. In no way wearing a mask, as did ancient stage actors when they represented some stage character. So early on in the history of theater, they didn't have an actor for every role. They would have a few actors, and those actors would wear masks Uh, masks so that they could play different roles so you can imagine uh, wearing one mask and saying being one character and then when that scene was over you would go and get another mask and you'd be a whole new character and paul says that their faith was sincere lois the grandmother and eunice the mother Uh, their faith was sincere meaning it was unhypocritical meaning they weren't women who would wear these masks Uh, Just so we're all on board with what a mask looks like, I brought a picture of Annabeth from earlier this week. You can see it up here behind me. That's a My Little Pony mask. And the number one creepy thing about this mask is it doesn't have eye holes for her. So when you put the mask on, you can't see out of it. And somebody thought that this would be a great Halloween costume. So she went and got this mask on right before bed. I think it was maybe Wednesday. uh, So you can imagine with me, she's wearing the mask. You can take it down because it's kind of creepy to look at with that weird pony face. Um... You can imagine uh, us saying to her right before bed, okay, Annabeth, it's, it's time for you to, to go on upstairs and, and go to bed. And she would say, uh, I'm not Annabeth, I'm a rainbow princess Celestia. We'd be like, no, you, you know, you're wearing a mask, we get the mask, but Annabeth, seriously, 
go brush your teeth, it's time to go to bed. I'm not moving until you address me as Rainbow Princess Celestia. Now, I know some of you parents are bothered because that's not actually a Rainbow Princess Celestia mask. That's a Pinkie Pie mask. I know the difference. (laughs) Just using it as an example. But essentially what the scripture tells us about hypocrites is is that you refuse to even acknowledge that you're wearing a mask. See, a lot of people think that being a hypocrite is just not being perfect. I'm a Christian, but I mess up. I'm a Christian, but I fail. A Christian, I don't pray as much as I should. I'm a Christian, but, you know, I went and saw that movie, and I probably shouldn't. I felt bad about it later. A Christian, and I, I, I shouldn't drink that much. It's wrong. A lot of people think being a hypocrite is being a Christian that does those things. Being a hypocrite is all about the mask. A hypocrite is somebody who does all those things but refuses to acknowledge those things. It's a projection of a certain kind. A, a lot of different types of masks we see Jesus interact with. And, um, Pharisees are always called hypocrites. So you see that there are people who wear the mask of, I'm the doctrinal police, but I'm a lifestyle criminal. Meaning I'm going to point out the weaknesses in your particular doctrinal preferences, and I'm going to pick those apart. Meanwhile, my marriage is falling apart, and I'm the reason for it. But I want to nitpick over the minutia of the Old Testament scripture. Doctrinal police, lifestyle criminal. There's the classic double standard. That's a mask. A lot of grace given to myself and a lot of judgment given to other people. This is what the Pharisees were like. They continually criticized Jesus and his disciples because, you know, they don't, they, he, they don't, he, they don't tithe like uh, the Pharisees do. But Jesus said, but you're neglecting the way that your matters of the law, justice and mercy. We have people in the scripture who uh, over-exaggerate their selflessness. That's another kind of mask. Ananias and Sapphira, they're all caught up because people are selling land in the book of Acts and giving it to the church. And they're going to get a lot of credit for that. And they got land. And and so they are going to sell it and give it to the church. So they're going to keep a portion of themselves. But they know they won't get as much credit for that if they keep some back for themselves. So they just let the church believe they gave all of what they got. Over-exaggerated selflessness. These are the people who serve, but they make sure that you know that they serve. Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. These people not only let their other hand know, they let Twitter know, Facebook know, Instagram know. These are masks. If you're wearing a mask today, I mean, what you're projecting is not really what's in reality. A couple of options. Option number one is that you're not fooling anybody. Just like Amanda and I were not confused that Annabeth was a My Little Pony, your family is not confused by you. In fact, I would say that your family is better at sniffing out your bull than anybody. That's option number one. You're not fooling anybody, so you might as well stop. Option number two is the scarier option. You are fooling everybody, and there is a day of reckoning coming because nobody goes to the grave in a mask. Eventually, the truth is going to come out. Men, eventually, the truth is going to come out. The longer you wait to be honest, 
the greater the consequences. See, that's the great thing about sincere faith is you don't have to go and earn sincere faith. You don't have to prove after a month, oh, you're really sincere. Sincere faith here means unhypocritical faith. It means honest faith. And so you can leave today with sincere faith by doing two really simple things. Number one, being honest. Be honest with yourself. I'm wearing a mask. Be honest with God. Here's the thing. God already knows, but he put in his word that there are severe consequences to lying to him. Even though you can't lie to him, when you try to lie to him, it always works out bad. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God and be honest with somebody else. Be honest with your family. Be honest with your friends. And then take a step of obedience. You may have taken a lot of wrong steps to get you to this place. But what does it look like for you in a moment of honesty before yourself and God and others to take the right step, an honest step? That's sincere faith. And Lois and Eunice handed this kind of faith down to Timothy because only sincere faith will survive the transition from one generation to another. If any of us have the attitude like I'm doing my spiritual duty as a parent because I take my kids to church, and that is pretty much the sum total of your faith, I'm telling you, it won't survive the handoff from your generation to your children's generation. It won't last. But sincere faith will. Honest faith will. Heartfelt faith will. But it's not just on parents. It's also on the church. Look what it says in verse 5. Clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois, then your mother Eunice, and that I am convinced is in you also. Verse 6, therefore I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. So we see the Apostle Paul also taking a role in Timothy's spiritual development. Now he says through the laying on of, of my hands. That happens in the scripture for a couple of reasons. First, we see it happen when people are praying, but we also see it happen when somebody has been marked out by God uh, to serve the church. The church recognizes that and they lay their hands on them as a symbolic thing saying, we recognize that there's a call of God on this person's life to serve the church. And that's what happened to Timothy. He was a young man, but his church, whether back in Galatia, modern day Turkey, or maybe on one of those journeys with the apostle Paul, somebody said, we recognize this special thing about Timothy and we're gonna lay our hands on him so the whole church will know this is a unique moment. But there also something spiritual happens when you lay hands on somebody. Turn a few pages to the left if you want to 1 Timothy chapter four. We've been in 2 Timothy, this is 1 Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, do not neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. So these people, along with the apostle Paul, lay their hands on Timothy. And as they're doing that, somebody prophesies over Timothy. Now you think, well, that's kind of weird. Somebody predict the future. In the New Testament church, there were apostles, there were prophets, there were evangelists, there were shepherds, and there were teachers. And Ephesians tells us that God gives those roles to the church, I believe still to this day, uh, to build up the church for works of service, to help you do what God has called you to do. And one of those prophets, as they're laying hands on Timothy, speaks something out. And Paul says that was a big deal. 
and we lay hand, laid hands on you, somebody prophesied over you, that was a big deal. I remember, uh, I don't remember because when I was born, one of the first people to hold on to me, 1981, was my grandmother. My grandmother was this sweet lady. She was about four feet tall. She weighed about 95 pounds. She was that kind of grandmother. She just ate terribly, ice cream, candy. She, the woman just always had candy, but she was never bigger than four feet tall and 95 pounds. And um, When she's holding on to me for one of the first times, she said, this is going to be my little preacher. Now, what's crazy is we didn't have a lineage of preachers. In fact, I think if you had asked my mom and dad, hey, what do you want this kid to be to be when they grow up? They were like, preacher would have been like way down at the bottom. We didn't have this like great family of ministry. My grandfather came to faith later in his life. My dad came to faith even after I was born. So we didn't have a lot of, you know, contextual evidence to say, hey, more than likely this guy's going to end up as a preacher. But for whatever reason, she was just moved and she just declared that out loud. And here's the cool thing about my family. It's like they forgot that. It wasn't like when I was five and it was career day. They said, now you can pick whatever you want, but just know somebody prophesied over you when you were a kid, you're going to end up a preacher. I didn't hear that story until I was well after 17, which I had discerned through works of God in my life and people speaking into my life that, yeah, this is what God has made me to do. God has made me a minister of the church. And it was only after that that they told me the story. There's something powerful about somebody declaring God's truth over your life. And I think this is what Paul is doing in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he says that sincere faith that's in you, which is first in Lois, your grandmother, and Eunice in your mother, your mother. And it said, and I am convinced is also in you. You need somebody every once in a while to come alongside of you and say, I am convinced. You may be half convinced. You may be not convinced. You may think it's not true. But I am convinced about this truth for your life. Parents, when was the last time that you were able to declare something powerful and positive over the life of your children? You're able to pull them up, knee to knee, eye to eye conversation and just say, I want you to know that I am convinced that you are gonna be a great man. I am convinced that you are gonna be an amazing woman. I am convinced that you're gonna give your life to serve the church in Jesus' name. When was the last time that you stood in front of your children and were convinced about something? If you're like me, you may be like, well, man, it's been a long time because being a parent is super hard. Being a parent is frontline warfare. And on the front line, you can't tell if it's going good or it's going bad. On the front line, you can't tell if you're winning the war or you're losing the war. And that's where the church comes in. That's where if you don't have kids, and this is like not your parental message, you have a role. The church comes in when the parents don't know because the kid's been giving them a hard time. The church can come along inside and say, I don't know if mom is convinced right now, and I don't know if you're convinced, but we, your church family, we are convinced this is going to work. That's the great thing about having kids ministry. It's a great thing about having student ministry. You have these amazing pastors weekly coming alongside our children and our teenagers saying, we're convinced. It doesn't look very convincing right now the way you're ordering your life, but we're convinced it's in there. We're convinced it's gonna be in there because it's a partnership between the parents and the church, but it's also a partnership that includes the child because Timothy has a role here. Look what it says in verse six. Therefore, 
I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hand. So Paul says, Timothy, it's your responsibility to keep this gift ablaze. What's the gift? The gift in in the New Testament is usually two things. Number one, it's the totality of your salvation. The gift of you having faith in Jesus. The gift of forgiveness of sins. The gift of eternal life. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And so when it talks about the gift that's in you, it refers to the totality of your salvation or it refers to your spiritual gift. You can find a list of that in Romans chapter 12 and uh, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You're good at a lot of things. Amening your mom today. You're wonderful and you have many talents. But one of those talents God has given you and he supernaturally empowers that when you leverage that thing for the good of his church and his glory. So Paul says to Timothy, you keep this gift, the salvation, the spiritual gifting that you have, you keep it ablaze. Kindle it up. Keep it in full flame. It's a good reminder for us as parents today, isn't it? What it means is that the pressure's not all on you. Sometimes I feel like my number one job as a parent is just to build Christian fences for my kids. And if I build them up real high, they won't ever be able to crawl out. But that's not my job. My job is to help them become the kind of men and women that they will willingly choose Jesus all the days of their life. When they're six and nine, when they're 16 and 19, when they're 50 and 70. So I have raised children that all the days of their life, they continually trusted Jesus. Because it's on them to keep their own gift ablaze. It's a good reminder for us today too. The gift that God has placed in you, what's its temperature? Because somebody toiled for you to come into the kingdom of God. Your parents toiled. They woke you up in the morning. They brought a willing child to church until they got to be about 15. And then they brought an unwilling child to church. They toiled to get you into the building. You're like, well, my parents didn't do that. Somebody toiled pastor a long time ago wake up early on Sunday morning to make sure the message was just right he toiled your Bible study leader they prepared they worked all day and then they went home at night and right before bed they opened up the word of God so that when you showed up to Bible study they were, they were ready for you they toiled even here today there was a wave of people that showed up before the sun to make sure that you could have an amazing experience this morning Somebody toiled for you to come into the kingdom of God. Are you being a good steward of their hard work? What's the temperature of the flame that God has put in you? A lot of us today would be like, oh no, it's not, it's not fully ablaze. That's not how I would describe it. The great thing is, is we got a lot of men in this room, so we all know how fire works, because whether you're six or 60, it's fun to play in fire. And when the fire's dying down, what do you do? You put some kindling on it. Lots of, kind, lots of kindling that you can put down to keep yourself fully ablaze. The word of God, prayer, serving people, using your spiritual gifts, encouraging.
encouraging somebody, being connected to a friend of deep faith. Lots of kindling, but then there's also the wind. You blow on that fire, and that's what makes it go. Thankfully, we don't have to manufacture the wind. Jesus has given us the wind, the spirit of God, the pneuma of God, the wind of God. It's a powerful reaction when the spirit of God comes and blows up that flame. Are you fully ablaze today? Partnership. Between a parent, a church, a child. Since it's Mother's Day, I wanted to honor my mom a little bit. She's not here. She's in Missouri at her church, but she listens to the podcast every Saturday while she's mowing the yard. I don't know how my dad has convinced her to mow the yard, but he has. He'll be here on Father's Day to do a Q&A for us. But she listens to the podcast. And I've told you before uh, that uh, my mom and I were in a band together, which is pretty awesome. You can't say that about you and your mom. But uh, we were in a band called the Harmonettes. She played the keys and was the lead singer. And, and I was the drummer. And uh, But I kind of came late in the game. They had been a band for a long, long time. And in fact, even well before... I was born, and they made some tapes, you know, cassettes. Uh, They never made it, they didn't make it into the CD age, but they had a lot of tapes, and they had records, like a real record. You you, you guys know what this is, this is amazing. And so the Harmonettes, right there, the picture's on the back, Uh, there's my mom right there, uh, and somebody wrote a blurb about how great this album was. It was actually like a friend of theirs, which I don't think that you can do, uh, you know, I don't think Mick Jagger can, you know, ask a friend to write up how great his new album is. But uh, that's what the Harmonettes did because that's the way they rolled. Southern gospel music, southern gospel music, if you're not familiar with it, it's like uh, kind of country and gospel collide together. And it's very popular among certain demographics. Um, uh, but what's cool about uh, this is this is, uh, this is one of the number one ways that uh, uh, I saw my mother's sincere faith. I would hear her sing these songs and, and others like them. And we would travel around because they were kind of a big deal in southwest Missouri in the early 80s. And so we would roll up. We had a trailer and a sound system and everything. And, and I would listen to her songs and hear their stories. And we'd drive to Lewis and Sarah's house. So I thought in honor of, of Mother's Day, uh, I'd play a little clip. It's been a long time since you heard an actual record. Uh, so this is going to be familiar, uh, unfamiliar to some of you. But uh, uh, the song I'm going to play is on the CD, but it was their number one uh, closer. You know, like when a band, uh, like their encore song, they go off, but they haven't played like their number one song. And everybody's got to cheer them on, and they come back and play the number one song. Well, it would be like that, but we didn't do an encore because, you know, in a, a tiny little church in southwest Missouri, you just go stand off to the side of the stage where everybody could still see you. And then you'd come on. So there's no encore, uh, but this was always the number one closer. It was the number one requested song. And, and this recording was probably when I was an infant uh, in my earliest days. And uh, my mom's the one playing the piano. And then when we get to the chorus, she'll be the voice uh, that you hear the most. Uh, so this is a record. And if you're not familiar with it, you can come and look at it after church is over.
different ways that uh, you can show your sincere faith to future generations. For my mom, it was that. For Cassie's mom, it was prayer. What's it going to do for you? When your children tell their story 35 years from now, how will they speak about the sincere faith of their parents? How will they speak about the sincere faith of their church? Or will they have a sincere faith of their own? I'm convinced. we honor you from this place and we just receive your word today we receive it that we want to be fully ablaze God I pray right now in just the power of Jesus' name for anybody whose flame is almost out, Lord, we just just pray for the wind of the Spirit today to meet up with whatever kindling is there in their soul, that they would leave encouraged and inspired and built up and recommitted to the gift that you've placed in them. Lord, we, we pray for every mom and dad pray that their faith would be visible and it would be true, it would not be a mask, it would be sincere. Lord, we pray for this family, that we'd be able to come alongside and say, we're convinced too. Future generations whose parents are not in the room, are not bringing them to church, are not a part of their spiritual development, Lord, we could make up for what is lacking. Thank you for the provision and honor as we step into it. In Jesus' name.